Welcome to Common Sense Leadership Podcast with your host, Dr. L.D. Bennett. Common Sense Leadership is an influencer podcast that will make you think, laugh, and act. Thanks for tuning in. Remember to subscribe and tell a friend to also listen and subscribe. Now, let's join our host, Dr. L.D. Bennett. Hey, everybody, and happy Friday. We are welcoming you to the first Friday in June, and I'm so excited, like super excited, uh, about my guest today. She is a longtime friend, and she will be here kicking us off talking about this month's theme, a call to public service, a leadership journey. And my friend and longtime colleague, Kendall O. Johnson, and I want to put that O in there because I remember her as Oliphant. So Kendall is on today. Uh, she has been a critical, critical part of the 2020 census, actually in previous censuses as well. And I want her to talk about that. I want her to talk about not only her current role and what's going on with that and how her role impacted the uh, 2020 census, but also her leadership journey. And it's really funny and it's very exciting too. So Kendall, welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So Kendall, let's jump right in. So why don't you tell us uh, what you're doing right now? Tell us a little bit about your title and what that means and how you impacted the 2020 census, because I definitely know that you positively impacted that census. So if you would, please. Well, I am uh, the executive director of the Integrated Communications Contract Program Management Office. So how's that? A government, a government agency with a short name or, or office <laughs> with a short name, right? We affectionately call it the uh, ICCPMO, and the office was responsible for all of the paid communications um, that were uh, uh, used to promote or educate the public about the 2020 census and encourage them to respond. So that included not only paid media, but all of the creative that went into all the different types of paid media. Um, uh, materials to support our partners and our partnership specialists, because let's, let's face it, while the census is a national effort, it's conducted locally. And so we have a lot of people who are on the ground across the country doing face-to-face -face interaction, setting up committees with local governments to help them encourage uh, uh, response. Um, and uh, it included uh, statistics in schools, which is an effort to provide STEM type um, activities that can be used in conjunction with um, approved curriculum, um, not to replace, but to be used in conjunction with. Um, and it provides uh, uh, activities that use real-time data. So the most recent census data uh, can be used to, um, to respond to those activities. It also included, you know, the website, obviously. Um, uh, we had a whole content, we had national partners um, and uh, public relations, earned media, that kind of thing. So it was pretty, pretty broad in scope. Um, trying to think of the best way to explain how we did it. So um, we realized that we can't do it by ourselves. So we work very hard with our partners to make sure that um, we're all speaking the same language using the same messaging. So we started by conducting a lot of detailed research. Um, uh, the, basis, the base research, which was the Census Barriers Attitude and Motivator Survey, which gave us insight into what held people back from responding to the census, or even so far as responding to government surveys in general, um, what kind of messaging would, would encourage them to respond, um, how they receive their messaging, who they like to receive their messaging from, 
that kind of thing. We did that um, and we tested this across multiple audiences in multiple languages. Uh, and that helped inform our um, tagline. It helped inform the actual creative uh, concepts uh, and all the other messaging that went into collateral materials that were distributed. Um, and that came in really, really handy when COVID hit because we had all our ads produced. We were ready to start. We had, had some ads on, awareness ads on TV to educate people, but our ads that were driving people to respond had to be changed on a, on a dime, which was, you know, we're the government, we, we're the Census Bureau. We like to research things to death before we put it out there. We, if we had not done that foundational research, we would not have known exactly what messages um, resonated best. And when we had to course correct for the media, what media we could use instead of, I mean, we, we focused on a lot of sporting events, a lot of award programming, things where we got the most bang for our buck. Um, but we had to pivot because, you know, there were no sports programs <laughs> and they stopped, ever, they stopped telecasting sports because they were group events and with COVID, you couldn't have those, no awards programs. So everything pivoted to online. Um, and that was, it was a great thing, but we also had to revise our ads and we had to either show people using PPE, you know, um, conforming to the uh, requirements uh, uh, with, because of COVID but everything was a gathering. So we had to totally adjust. We had to change some of the messaging so it was more in line um, with what was going on in current events. And we had to recognize that people were spending more time watching news and um, news programming and things like that. And then online, you know, you had the virtual graduations, you had the virtual concerts, you had the virtual events, everything. And it was, uh, it was quite interesting. So um, I say all that to say that that pretty much was is what I do. That is what I've done. Um, but uh, on top of that, um, I am the first African-American woman to serve in this position, which is a wonderful thing. Not the first woman, but the first African-American woman. And um, to me, I took that very seriously. It's important that we count everybody in the United States and its territories, not one group over another. Um, it, we worked very, very hard to ensure that there was um, messaging that was culturally relevant and culturally sensitive to all the audiences that we uh, specifically tried to reach. And mind you, our target is everyone, um, but there are, uh, there are segments of the population that tend to be um, uh, least likely to respond for various reasons, and they require messaging in a different way. And so we spoke to them in the way they preferred to be spoken to using the types of, of, of creative that spurred their, their um, participation, using the modes of delivery of those communications that they were most likely to receive. And um, lucky for us, even with COVID and all the craziness around things shutting down um, and the extension of the campaign for various reasons, we were able to still achieve, you know, um, our goals for the 2020 census. You know, Kendall, that was so, so exciting. Talk to us just a teeny bit about why the census and participation in the census is so important. I, I love census, that's where I used to work. So. <laughs> so I'm just putting a little plug in, but would you talk about why it's so important? Because a lot of times you hear people say, well, I'm not gonna complete the form because people are gonna do whatever they wanna do anyway. So why is that so important for everyone to be counted? I'm going to give you two big reasons, money and power. 
and I'm going to say that again, money and power. The results from the census are used to allocate billions of dollars to states, um, uh, cities, localities, neighborhoods, communities every single year. So that park down the street is funded based upon census figures. Um, the way the bus goes through the community, that is determined by census figures or the results from the census. Um, where stores place their, um, their locations, it, all the way down to what the inventory is in the stores, all of that is, believe it or not, influenced by um, the statistics or the results that come from the census. Um, but even more so, um, power. So the numbers or the results from the census help determine or, or are used to help determine um, how uh, legislative districts are redrawn for the states. It's a whole redistricting thing. Uh, the states are going through it right now and um, they use census data to determine how those districts are drawn. And if you want people to uh, represent you and your views, uh, you want those districts drawn in a way where that's possible. And that's only possible if you respond to the census and your numbers are there. It's, it's all the information is completely confidential. Um, we go through a myriad of processes to make sure that no one can actually look at census data and manipulate it and figure out one person over another or one household over another. Um, so, and in, in, in the information that we ask on the census is so minimal, age, race, sex, marital status, household relationship, you know, uh, Hispanic origin, it's so minor, it's less information than you provide when you fill out a loyalty card for the grocery store. Um, so money and power, huge, huge things. I mean, it's just civic duty. Our, our ancestors fought, they sweat, they bled for our opportunity to do these things. And so actually getting out there and responding, it is a precursor to actually voting. Two of the main things you need to do as a person in the United States. You know what? That was so exciting. And let me just say this. I met Kendall uh, <clears throat> 25 plus years ago. I'm not going any further because that, that was a, at a time when both of us had black hair, all black hair. <laughs> uh, and so, so Kendall, uh, talk to us a little bit about uh, your leadership journey, how did you get here? You are in such a pivotal role. When I saw the announcement about your selection for the for that position, I was like, oh yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> someone that truly understands not only the process, but also understands the impact of the census and the work of the individual that sits in that seat. So tell us about your leadership journey. And you know, I'm gonna ask you to talk about mom and dad because I, I love her mom, just so you know, guys. Her mother <laughs> I love her and a shout out to mom. So would you talk about your leadership journey, where it started and also tell the, the funny story you told me yesterday too. So honestly, I never wanted to work for the federal government. My father was a, 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 a career federal servant. My mother taught in um, DC public schools. So she was career um, local government. And I just didn't want to do either one of them. You know, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I didn't want to do that. Um, so I had graduated from college. I was um, working uh, at the famed Marshall Fields in Chicago, right? And uh, I quit for a whole lot of reasons, not to get into that, but for like three months, the entire summer, I didn't do anything. I would go sit across the street at the beach on Lake Michigan and contemplate life. And my mother just said, you have got to get a job. You know, she, she was like, I can't do this anymore. You need a job. 
And I was like, okay, I guess unemployment isn't doing everything. I need a job. And I actually um, got a job with the uh, Chicago regional office of the Census Bureau. And here I was thinking, you know, this is a temporary job because it really was a temporary job. And I was, uh, back then we were called community awareness specialists. Um, we were the boots on the ground um, talking. I mean, my, my assignment was all of the um, storefront churches on the south side of Chicago. And I thought that was a great assignment until I realized they were only open on Saturdays and Sundays. So I was stuck working every weekend, but it was okay because, you know, it was, it was a great opportunity to meet people, to talk about the importance of the census. And the more you learn about how important census is, the more, at least for me, the more um, invigorated I became, staked I became in the outcomes of the census. And I think that was, that was helpful in what I was doing because it allowed me to speak to people. They believed me, they trusted me. And I, I, and I really did uh, mean what I was saying. I mean, <laughs> with all my heart, I meant what I was saying. But I ended up leaving the Chicago regional office because I don't know about anybody else. It's cold in Chicago. It is just really cold. And um, I moved back and I, I transferred to the Charlotte regional office covering the DC area. That's, that's where I met Gail Diane. And, um, uh, and from there, you know, I parlayed that temporary position into a permanent position at the Bureau. Again, never planning to be there for any period of time, just sort of biding my time until I found something else. And the next thing I knew, I was almost 30 years in. I had worked on the, 20, the 2000 uh, communications contract, uh, managed that. I had managed the 2010 uh, communications contract. I even left there and went um, and worked for about six years at the Office of National Drug Control Policy, working on their national youth anti-drug media campaign, which was major. And um, here I am, came back to census. They made me an offer. I couldn't refuse. So I went back, right? And um, I'm still there. And I'm just like, it's, it's, it's mind blowing to me that I have been there 30 plus years and it was only supposed to be a temporary job. I mean, you know, every yes. step of the way I've learned something, I've moved up and, you know, uh, managing contracts and, man you know, uh, I started off uh, in communications, then I managed contracts and now I'm, I'm combining the two in my current position. So it has been a wonderful journey for me. And I don't think people really understand how fulfilling it is working for the federal government. You know, we talk about, you know, um, public service and public service is amazing. You know, yes, it's, it's, you know, it's basically a guaranteed job. You know, they've got good benefits. They've got, you know, all kinds of positives. But in the end, just knowing that you're giving back, that you're, you're doing something for your country that's, you know, fulfilling, you know, it, it really does make a difference. You, you, you know, uh, you just hit on something um, uh, that I wanted you to talk about, and that was just how fulfilling it is uh, to Kendall to work in public service. And I think what you talked about when you said you quit your job and decided, your mom was like, oh, you got to get a job. Okay, That's so right. let yeah. me just do this on a temporary basis. What I heard you say, and I want you to noodle this out just a little bit more, is how you grew, not only as a person, but grew in your expertise and in your skill set. And I, and I said it kind of jokingly last week that I cut my teeth on leadership and leadership development 
at the government's expense, at the taxpayer's mm -hmm. expense. Because if you are if you are willing, there's space for you to grow. Yes. So would you talk about that just a little bit more, talking about you know just the opportunities that were presented to you and how you took advantage of them and then maximized it to where you are today? Oh, absolutely. You know, it um, you know, we used to say years ago that when you work for the government, you are a jack of all trades and a master of none. Um, the government now gives you the opportunity to be a master of trades. I mean, contract management was never something I thought I would do. Um, I, and when I started working on the 2000 census, um, it started with the research. And I got really caught up in the research. And I thought it was amazing to hear people talk about. That was when we did the first CBAMS report. And just, just to hear people talk about what it meant to them, why they cared or didn't care. And just like, oh, what? You don't believe this is important? Oh, my God, do you know everything there is? And it just sort of made me want to go out and talk to people more and more and more. Um, the people I met along the way who inspired me to keep going. And that's not just people in the government. That's people out in you know, the US that I talked to, that I worked with, that I was trying to convince. I remember for the, um, for the 90 census, I, I was working in Southeast DC, Southwest DC. And there was a, a woman there and she was doing amazing things for her community. Um, and she was, she was a, a, a paraplegic, right? She's in a wheelchair. And, and I, you know, I went over to talk to her because she was um, a, trusted, a trusted voice in that neighborhood. And she said, I'll help you, but you've got to help me. And I was like, sure, what do you need? She said, I need you here on this day to help me give out these turkeys and to help me do this. And before I knew it, I got involved in the community service. And it no longer became what helping her so she could help me. It became something I wanted to do. Um, and that just transferred into all that I was doing for the Census Bureau. I stayed, I worked my way up. Um, I started working on small things like, believe it or not, the, um, uh, some of the partnerships that we have, the state data centers and the census information centers. And I was like, wow, we do this kind of stuff? That's interesting. Then I started you know, working in exhibits and going out and talking to people on the road, uh, staffing various exhibit booths across the country and, and parlayed that into the, 20, the 2000 census. Um, looking at the research, um, going through all the research associated with changing our, the, the, the Census Bureau's brand, the logo, the colors, the thought that goes into that stuff was just amazing. And then um, uh, I was approached about, you know, because I had such a great idea, uh, 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 eye for detail, whether or not I was interested in contract management. I was like, eh, what the heck, what else am I doing, right? So they trained me to manage contracts. Um, and by that, I mean, you know, I am not the contract officer on the contract, but I'm their technical representative in that I work, I'm like the subject matter expert um, with enough information on how to manage a contract so that I can do almost everything except for authorize, um, you know, um, change in scope, so to speak, um, things like that. That said, again, Oh, that's interesting, right? I was, uh, I was uh, a contracting representative, officer's representative on a research contract. And then when we started for the 2000 census, um, I started working in the office that managed the communications campaign. And I worked as a core, I had the, um, the experience and the training, but I was not the primary core on the contract. Well, when that person 
decided to leave the Census Bureau, I applied for that job and I got it. And I was like, oh my God, what did I do? What am I thinking? You know, it's the first time the Census Bureau had ever advertised. It was, um, you know, the oversight was tremendous. The stress was through the roof, you know, quick aside, I still remember thinking I was giving my staff 59 minutes off and I accidentally gave the entire field division 59 minutes off. And this is the field division is who El Diane was responsible for it. And I still remember her calling me saying, what are you doing? I said, I don't understand. And she was like, how do you, why do you think you have the right to give my staff time off? I said, I didn't give your staff time off. I gave my staff time off. She said, no, go back. And lo and behold, I had given, I don't even know how many employees, it was hundreds of employees that I had given time off. And when they see that, they log off and they're out. And I, you, you can't take that back. A lot of lessons learned, right? Um, but I went from managing the 2000 contract and I left after 2000 and went to the Office of Drug Control Policy because um, they took notice of what I was able to do. They specifically requested my help to manage their contract for the National Youth Anti-Drug Media Campaign, which was, again, another amazing opportunity. Um, I learned from that, um, dealing with Congress, dealing with budgets, uh, uh, um, uh, dealing with um, advisory boards that oversaw everything and brought it all back to manage the 2010 census contract. So it just, it just kept building and building and building. And it wasn't, it wasn't um, a contrived direction. I didn't plan it. I just fell into it. And the larger the contracts, the more training you get, the more you're capable of doing. And I have parlayed that into having my level three contract representative um, um, uh, uh, certification, a level three program and project management certification. And that allowed me that, that project program and project management certification allowed me to oversee not just the contract itself, but the entire process. Because even though the contract is a large part, there's more that goes with it. There's significant stake, stakeholder oversight, right? I mean, if somebody's got to talk to these stakeholders and explain to them what's going on. And one of our prime stakeholders is Congress. They're funding us. They want to know where their money is going, how it's being used. And, and, and so it has increased my visibility, whether or not I wanted it to or not, because I was not necessarily, you know, the most um, uh, eager public speaker, right? <laughs> but it has uh, allowed me to, um, to, to learn how to uh, uh, navigate the political atmosphere without being in politics, because it is very important um, to, to know how to say things, when to say them. Um, I learned very quickly when to keep my mouth, you know, shut. And that was, that was a hard lesson. Um, I learned that you don't always say no, you say, let me check into that and I'll get back to you, even if you know the answer is no. I learned that as you move up the chain, your friends dwindle, right? You can't, you know, one of the hardest things to do is start managing people that you've already worked, that you've been working side by side with. Um, and it, it's a mindset change. It's, um, it's, a, it's, it's intellectual, it's social, it's everything. Everything changes. And, you know, it's, it's making those hard decisions because, you know, you chase a dollar, but the few dollars you get for each move up is maybe not necessarily worth the move up. And um, it has, all the moves that I've made and the experiences that I've had 
have also led me to serve as a mentor to a lot of those coming up. And I, I'm very honest with people. I try to explain to them. I try to get to the root of why they want to move up. What is it? What is their end goal? Where do they want to be? And, um, and I give them real life situations. I say, well, this doesn't happen all the time. This does happen. You know, you, the further up you go, the more you have to hold your tongue, the more you have to do what you're told to do versus paving new roads, right? Uh, you have to, you have, you can't, you know, with social media now, you have to be careful what you put on social media because everything is seen. And um, a lot of them are just amazed at, they think, you mean all that stuff I posted, they can see that? Mm, you'd be surprised what they can see if they want it bad enough. So, um, and that's just all as part of an interview process. It's not just trolling, looking for things. I want to be clear that we're not out looking at people's social media. But, you know, this is, this is not just for the, the government. This is for private sector as well. These are lessons learned. You know, I remember my mother used to tell me, uh, dress for the job you want, not the job you have. And um, that is... In today's world, we are a much more casual society. And when you say that to people, they think you're old fuddy-duddy, you don't know what you're talking about. But you always have to remember impressions, first impressions are everything. So all those things my mother taught me growing up have come to bear and have stuck in my brain. And I still remember when I got the job as um, the core for the, uh, 20, the 2000 census, right? My mother bought me a red suit. I remember that. She bought me a red suit. She said, red is the color of power. Go out there, show them what you got, and continue to rise. And so I've continued to do that. It has been, it's, the journey has been zigzagged in many ways, and that's okay, because you can't constantly move up if you don't have enough information base or enough experience to make that move up worthwhile. So what I, tell, what I tell my mentors is do not be afraid to move side to side, but stay where you are long enough to get enough education, experience, and information to make the next move worth it. Oh, that is so good. And you know what? I knew mom was giving some good advice. I mean, you know, just <laughs> all moms do, right? Yes. <laughs> so so, so uh, I tell you, Kendall, you really hit on what was going to be my next question is, what advice would you give? And, and the advice that you have shared has been phenomenal. It's been spot on. So now I'm going to kind of shift a little bit. I'm going to ask you, uh, what parting words would you give uh, to individuals that are considering uh, a change in, in career or even looking at uh, public service as an option? Because as we know, post-pandemic, a lot of people are weighing whether corporate America is really for me or they're looking at it going, you know, in the, with the backdrop of a lot of social injustice, a lot of things that are going on, the inequities that are going on, and they really want to do more. So they want to get involved uh, in an area uh, that really impacts lives, which is, is public service, impacts everyone's life, regardless mm -hmm. of what community you're in. Public service is going to impact your life. So what words of advice would you give to folks now considering or maybe even saying, hmm, that might be an option for me or even looking at a change of career and they're thinking about public service. So what advice would you give them? I would say that public service has been good to me. Public service has been good to many people. It is a, a very admirable way 
to, um, to serve your country, but also it is an admirable career to have. It is, um, you know, uh, you work. Let's just be real. You're going to work, whether it's public service or whether it's private sector, you're going to work. But if, if the good thing is the government now has specialties, you have the ability to come in. There are specialty um, areas, um, you know, with uh, the uh, emergence of social media and many agencies getting involved in that, that is a niche for you. But I strongly recommend that you, you know, usajobs.gov is where all federal jobs are posted. Go on there, apply. If you're willing to move, be willing to move, be open. Don't be so stringent in your search requirements that you, you box yourself out of opportunities. Be open to the opportunities because once you get into the government, you have the opportunity to move around and to learn more, hone your skills, so to speak, get more education, get more certifications. Um, and don't give up. The federal process, the process for getting into the federal government is long and arduous. And the older it goes, the longer it goes, or the, you know, um, it, the harder it gets, believe it or not. But take the time, apply for every job, be patient, pay attention to what's in that application, and just go for it. Public service, I mean, great benefits, right? I mean, hey, I'm working from home. I am loving it. I honestly don't care if I ever go back into an office. Um, but they try to accommodate all kinds of situations. There are people that might live in North Carolina, but they work for an agency that's physically in the District of Columbia, right? So you have, you know, you have the ability to work remotely. You have the ability, not just remotely, like from home, but from home in another state, right? Um, there's travel. Can I tell you, I have been places I never in a million years I thought I would go. Sometimes it was a bit much, you know, uh, sad story for some, for me, not for others. In one week, I went to Hawaii twice. Now that sounds wonderful, but that is a long trip and it is hard coming back. But I might not have had that opportunity had I not worked for the government. So there are so many things that you can do. You have the ability for further you know, education, um, obtaining certifications that allow you to move, competitive salaries, um, uh, 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 flexible workplaces, flexible hours, and you know, um, you know, pretty much guaranteed employment once you're in. So um, don't sleep on public service. It is extremely fulfilling in multiple ways. And when you go to sleep at night, you go to sleep thinking, I did something positive today. I didn't just, you know, open up an account or keep an account going or convince somebody to spend money that they didn't have. You are making a difference every single day you show up for work. And that really does do a lot for your personal psyche. So I really, I mean, I just say, just don't sleep. Don't sleep on the government. Don't write it off or public services, whether it's federal, state, local government, do not sleep on it. Give it an opportunity, like college. If you can go away for a semester, go away. Figure out what it's like to be away from home. Try it. You might like it. <laughs> I love it. Thank you, Kendall. You really set the tone uh, for this month, a call to public service, a leadership journey. 
Thank you for sharing so much. And by the way, folks, my one of my great nieces is named Kendall because of Kendall. All right. Yeah. She spells it a little differently, but but That's she's okay. Kendall. Kendall has been uh, such a great example for just upward mobility uh, in, in the government, just moving from place to place. And it does take uh, courage uh, to leave one place like she left census and went over uh, to drug control policy. That was uh, th that took courage. And she did that. And so taking those calculated risks can help and it will help you uh, in your public service journey. So Kendall, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on today and for setting the tone for the rest of the month. Uh, a call to public service, a leadership journey. Thank you. And please tell mom, I said, hey, we'll do. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy the rest of your Friday. Thanks for tuning in and for supporting me. I don't take your support for granted. I am both grateful and humbled. Join us next week for another episode. And remember to subscribe and ask others to subscribe. Go to our website at commonsenseleadership.org for more details. Thank you and have a great day. This podcast and omni-channel experience is brought to you by the Walter Cates Foundation, the entertainment and telecommunication industry's leading national foundation dedicated to advocacy around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we are proud to have them as our signature partner. We are very grateful for their generosity and for their support. To learn more, visit waltercates.org. Thank you for joining Common Sense Leadership Podcast with your host, Dr. L.D. Bennett. Visit our website, commonsenseleadership.org, for more details. See you next week.